Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. As you might know by looking at our logo, the number 37 is special to me, and I couldn't think of a more perfect interview for the 37th episode. This week I talked with Brett Wysinski, who, like me, suffered second impact syndrome while playing football in an inter-squad scrimmage during his senior year at Walsh University. In case you don't know what second impact syndrome is, it happens when an athlete suffers a concussion and as a result has post-concussion symptoms, which in our case was a severe headache. Before these symptoms resolve, the athlete suffers a second and often unremarkable blow to the head or body and receives a second concussion. This second impact can cause massive brain swelling and slash or hemorrhaging, which was our case. The survival rate is around 50% and the morbidity rate is around 100%. So the fact that this conversation between the two of us even happened is nothing short of a miracle. Breast concussion symptoms and obstacles during recovery were nearly identical to mine. We both hit our symptoms in an attempt to be quote-unquote tough, and this is ultimately what got us both into trouble. Our message isn't to stop playing sports or to play scared. Rather, it's to be open and honest about how you're feeling because nobody knows that better than you. In this episode, you will also learn why this is important from a mental and emotional perspective when your sport is taken away from you either temporarily or permanently. Before we get started, uh, go over to iTunes and Stitcher, leave us a five-star review, and this helps us spread our message further and further each week. Also, when you like an episode we post, please share it with a friend you think might benefit from it. Lastly, the Heads and Tails podcast is brought to you by you. We're now selling Heads and Tails trucker hats and t-shirts to help with travel and equipment costs, which helps us continue to bring inspiring tales to you each and every week. Pictures of these items can be found on our Instagram page, which is at Heads and Tails. Heads is in multiple heads, the letter N, and then Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. I'm working on creating a shop page and website, but in the meantime, if you enjoy the podcast and you want to help out, I can coordinate the sale via email at kevin at headsandtails.org. Thanks for the support, and we have some exciting educational interviews lined up in the next few weeks, uh, which include a four-part series with the Mind of the Athlete Psychology Group coming in September, and another four-part series with members from the Corey Stringer Institute on preventing sudden death in sports with an emphasis on preventing exertional heat stroke. Now, without further ado, be my dude, Brett Wysinski. This is Kevin Som, you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Hey, Brett, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. Nice to finally get in touch with you. I know. I know. After all this time, it's finally to nice to finally, I guess, meet you, more or less. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever met anyone who had our injury and was ended up being okay, like, like we were? Honestly... I had never even heard of it before until my doctors really told me about it and said that that was has what or that was what had happened to me. Right. That's the first time I ever heard of it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I uh, when I was I had like really bad headaches leading up to mine, and I remember my mom was on a business trip, so I was like telling her like when I talked to her on the phone that my head was bothering me. Yeah. And. Uh, She's like, well, Kevin, I, I read this People Magazine article about this football player who had a concussion and he played and then he died of something called second impact syndrome. I was like, no, nah, I probably have a science infection or something. I think I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. so, so that was the only time I heard of it until a week later when it happened to me too. So yeah. Um, well, all right. Uh, well, let's just, I say we just get, 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 it, get the ball rolling here and then uh, I'll throw in an intro at, at the end. I'm, I'm going to post it this week because I told you I wanted to make it the, the 37th episode, which is a special 
uh, number to me because I oh, think yeah. it's somewhat lucky. You know, it was my yeah, it was yeah, my yeah. number, so uh, I kind of go with that one. So you want to start off by just talking about what what sports you played growing up? Um, growing up, I I guess was involved in every sport I could possibly be in. It started with stock started with soccer, and then progressed into baseball, basketball, and then football. But then I wasn't allowed to play football until seventh grade because my brother wasn't allowed to play until seventh grade, so I wasn't allowed to either. Well, what, what was the reasoning behind that? Just your mom didn't want you guys to play? or um, It wasn't more or less mom. Dad just didn't want him to play, or I don't think my brother even asked to play until seventh grade. Okay. And I, I had asked, like I think, in fifth or sixth grade to play, and they were always kind of like, well, if you're – if your brother didn't do it, then you're not allowed to either. Just to, keep, I guess, keep, keep things even. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> once I got into seventh grade, I really fell in love with football and felt that that was the sport that it, I was able to excel at the best. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Um, did, did your dad play uh, sports in, in high school or anything? Did he play football? Uh, he played football, basketball, uh, Baseball when he was younger, but then he ran track in high school as well. Okay. And he also played football at Marietta College, too. Okay. Is that in Georgia? That is in, like, southeastern Ohio. Okay. Yeah. I know there's a Marietta, Georgia, too. but Yeah, and there's a Marietta College down in southeastern Ohio. It's just a Division three private school down there. So but did your, your dad get banged up at all while playing, or and that was maybe why he was trying to put off you having um, you guys play? I don't remember ever hearing anything about him ever getting banged up at all or anything like that because he's a lot bigger than i was and he's i guess one of the one of the tougher guys but yeah i never really heard anything about him having injuries or anything like that i think it was just yeah and and toughness is something that we'll have a good conversation about uh, oh, yeah. later on in this podcast oh yeah um all right so uh, what was your favorite player growing up in terms of i mean who your favorite athlete was um, I'd say I really loved Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, when I was growing up. I mean, I I liked baseball, but it was never really my sport. But for some reason, something I, about Ken Griffey. Something about Ken Griffey, and then also Charles Woodson too. Once I kind of got into playing football more, yeah, being the strong safety. Oh yeah, and yeah. just seeing how he played defense and how aggressive and how tough he was, I really, really liked watching him and everything like that. So he was definitely one of my favorites. Cool. Um, what What's your favorite NFL team? Browns. The Browns. Browns. Okay, I guess being from Ohio. Diehard Browns fan. So what do you think about Johnny Manziel? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I had I had high hopes for him when we drafted him, but uh, I don't know. I just – it's sad to see. Yeah, he can't get out of his own way kind of thing. I can't get out of his own way, and he's, a, I guess, had so much potential, but – just off the field aspects, everything just getting in the way kind of yeah. ended that. But hopefully, he gets it together. Hopefully, yeah. Everyone can use a second chance sometimes. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Um, that's all for right. Sure. So, what injuries did you suffer throughout your career prior to suffering second impact syndrome? Honestly, I was fairly lucky all throughout my sports career. I mean, besides like the minor twisted ankles and sprained knees or something like that. Right. Um, I know my senior year of high school, I suffered a shoulder injury um, where I went down to make a tackle, and then the running back juked me inside, 
and I reached out and my glove got caught on his helmet and okay. then he kind of ripped it through. And I swear I heard like everything in my shoulder tear and my arm went limp and everything like that. But I still stayed in the game and still played and never said anything about that. And that kind of injury kept with me throughout my college career too. But I oh. just kind of tried to make it stronger and you were able to work through it. Oh yeah. They would work through it. There was, it was going to take a lot to get me to get me off the field, and that little shoulder injury wasn't going to stop me at all. Yeah, um, I kind of want to tell like a little story that I haven't ever told on the podcast before, but yeah. it's, it has to do with a shoulder injury, which I think ultimately led to my, you know, head injury being as severe as it was. Right. Because in my my well, it all starts in my freshman season. I broke my collarbone, so. You know, I was standing out of practice the a couple of days later with my arm in a sling, and yeah. the varsity coach walks by and he asked me, you know, like what's wrong, and I said, well, I broke my collarbone, it's like thinking that was going to be like a valid reason to be sitting yeah. out of practice, <laughs> yeah. and instead yeah. he's like, well, Rusty can't be in play in the 2001 state championship game with a broken collarbone. Like obviously he was kidding, you know, but like yeah. when you're 14, like that stuck with me. I was like, oh, oh damn, yeah. like I want to be tough like rusty campion like he won a state championship played at a division one school and like i want to be in you know named in the same sentence as as him so that's something that i always remembered and then when you fast forward to my senior season i separated my shoulder on the same field that i broke my collarbone on my freshman year and the first thing that came to mind was i'm not freaking coming off this field because (laughs) you know like i want to be you know that guy i want to be the the tough guy or I, i wanted my coach to think that i was tough and i always say this like when i go around to, to talk to whoever I'm talking to, um, that my main goal when I was 17 was to have my football coach think that I was tough. Like I didn't care yeah. about anything else, not girls, not school. Like all yeah. I wanted was for him to think that I was tough. Yeah. So when I hurt my shoulder, I was like, yeah, I'm not coming out. So I worked with my athletic trainer to kind of work around it. It was still excruciating, but then I hurt my other shoulder cause I started favoring that one. And right. then I had nothing else to hit with but right. my head. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's yeah. no wonder why, you know, what, what, what happened to me did. So, yeah. And I, that's the same thing. Like I can relate to that toughness aspect too. Like, I guess growing up, I was always taught to be like a tough kid and a tough player and a tough, af- tough yeah, from athlete. the time you're like seven. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's why like, it's not, I'm not blaming my coach. You know, it's like, no. I've been told this since I was, you know, yeah, exactly. If, if it was pretty much, if I could walk and I could run, then I was going to play yeah. no matter what. Right. And then I know like a lot of times in high school, like some of my coaches would see kids like getting concussions or stuff and they would be on the sidelines. And then I think, I didn't think that I don't think everyone understood how serious like a concussion was at the time. Right. So I guess they were kind of looked at those players are kind of looked at as not being tough or that they didn't want to play. Yeah. Especially like you said in some of like, I, I read the, the triax technology interview yeah. that, that they did and you were saying how it's an invisible injury. Like you can't yeah. see it. So people you autom- question, you know, your integrity of why are you really, yeah. are you really hurt or not? Exactly. Exactly. It's a tough situation to be in, you know, yeah, especially because right. a lot of the symptoms are things that are like everyday ailments, you know, like people get headaches all the time. Right. But I don't know about you, but for me, it was like a much different headache. Like my head never hurt worse in my entire life. And it just never, <laughs> it just never got better. Yeah. And I guess the funny thing about my injury, I guess, um, is, when I had gotten 
the minor concussion a couple of days before I got hurt. That was like a week into camp. That was really the only thing I truly even remember about camp itself was getting that initial impact. Right. So it's just, I'm not really sure how much pain I was in, but I know like before practices, because we were in two days at the time, I was taking at least a thousand milligrams of ibuprofen before each practice just to get through the day pretty much. So obviously my head was killing you. Definitely killing me. (laughs) Either that or my body or something, but I just needed it to get through the day. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I had the same thing. Like, for me, when I would start running, it literally felt like my brain was bouncing inside my head. Like, that's how bad yeah. it hurt. And it just, I was just hoping it was going to get better by the next game. It just never did. Yeah. But, um, so what position did you play in college? I think we kind of mentioned this before, but did you always play uh, strong safety or like, what did you play in high school and stuff like that? In high school, I was a slot wide receiver. And I, in my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I actually played corner on defense. Okay. And then my junior and senior year, they moved me over to free safety. And that's where I kind of found my niche was at Play, free playing s- center field. <laughs> but playing center field, be able to see the whole field and be yeah. able to re- react on the ball and come down and make tackles and everything. So then in college, tried out or s- started out at free safety and then a kind of transitioned more into a strong safety role just because I love to hit and I could come downhill really well right. and fill those holes and make the tackles and everything. And then um, my junior year of college, I actually won the starting job at punting as well because I had punted all through high school and then just kind of – That's just being an athlete right there. Yeah, you just could, being an athlete. do it all. Just, messing around before practices uh You're like holy crap this kid's better than our punter <laughs> yeah. yeah so then junior year I actually won the job and i did really well at it and that was something i really enjoyed too was punting that's cool it's funny you say that because like the best athlete on my high school team was this guy named mike burton and he plays for the, De- the detroit lions right now okay. but it was the same kind of thing the kid would run down the whole field score a touchdown take his <laughs> shoe off put his kicking shoe on kick the field goal kick yeah. the kickoff i'm like you do the kick return like he the kid yeah. did it all oh, like yeah. it's just it's those kind of athletes yeah. that are just like amaze you sometimes yeah. but before we get to your college a little further into your college career and ultimately your injury was there any moments like during your high school career which knowing what you know now about concussions that like yeah i probably had a concussion because i know for me i've easily had 20 plus concussions oh, you yeah. know oh, uh, yeah. before my second impact syndrome i know even just growing up in other sports I had known I had gotten concussions and I guess never really said anything about it. Right. Because I, like we talked about before, I never wanted to come out of the game because I know I knew if I got a concussion, I was going to be out for however long, or if I told somebody I had, I thought I had one, I'd be out for at least a week to see if I was, I guess, well enough to come back. And then, possibly longer than that if I passed the concussion protocol or not. Right. So, yeah, like I had at least maybe four or five concussions throughout high school that I never really said anything about. I mean, I guess that I can think of four or five, but who knows? It's probably been a lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, like I can remember times where I would be making tackles 
and I would get up from the tackle, I'll see like dull vision for like oh, yeah. 20 seconds yep. or so until like oh, went away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, that was weird. You know, like I just thought it was my helmet like coming down to my eyes or something. Yeah. And we're blacking out a few times trying to like oh, either yeah. run someone over or, you know, have like a kick out block and, you know, going for a kill shot. But like yeah. in the meantime, you kill yourself. It's like. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's my, my biggest regret. Uh, like looking back onto how I played the game of football, like like I said, I was trying to be the tough guy, and like my role on the team was to basically just run people over. I was a right. fullback in the wing tee, so I ran the ball. Okay. But okay. like I made the biggest hits by running people over while I was running the ball. Yeah, and my team got excited, coaches got excited, and like it got everyone going. So I was like, I kind of looked at that as being my role on the team. But I'm like. That's a hundred percent of the reason why my career was as short as it was because, like, instead of running away from the defense, I was running at the defense. You know? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, such an idiot. <laughs> but <laughs> whatever. Um, all right, so let's talk about your transition to college football. So you went to Walsh University, and you you played uh, strong safety and I guess punter at, at some point as well. Um, yeah. What was that transition like? Was it a lot different from from high school? And what advice do you have for athletes? That, you know, making that transition. Honestly, it was a pretty hard transition for me because my high school um, was a fairly small high school because we were Division Four in Ohio, which is I think we only had a hundred and. And Ohio high school football is big time, right? Like, there's oh, it's yeah. a big deal. Oh yeah, huge in huge in Ohio, but we were a small school, and so even trying to get noticed in high school was incredibly difficult. Right. I like leading up to my senior year of high school. I went to camps and combines all over Ohio, Columbus, down at OU Athens, uh, Akron, Cincinnati, everywhere, just to at least try and get my name out there. Yeah, so that was – was that always your goal to, was to play college football? Oh, yeah. From, I guess, the first time I really played football, I knew that I potentially had a future in it. And I guess coming from my small town – I guess we were an average middle-class American family. I mean, and my brother, um, he was a couple years older than me. He went to Marietta College, okay, um, which was a private school, one that my dad went to. Yep. And he had, thankfully, he had athletic scholarship or uh, academic scholarships to go there. Okay. But being that private school, I knew it was expensive, and I knew it was kind of a burden it would be kind of a it was a burden to on my parents, parents yeah. to try and put him through college and I knew going into high school and once I really decided I wanted to try and play college sports that I was going to do everything I possibly could to earn a scholarship so that I could alleviate some of that burden off of them cool so then that was so it is uh is Walsh University uh, what division is that well when I uh Originally went there. We were Division Two NAIA. Okay. And then my junior year, we had started the transition to become Division Two NCAA. So what's the difference? I I never. Um, it's just in the scholarships that you can offer and the competition that you play. Okay. Um, which one is quote unquote better? Probably NCAA would be the the better uh and just that you play more competitive teams yeah play more competitive teams and you're able to get i guess better players um because you can offer them more scholarship money and you have more scholarships to offer in general cool so you you earned yourself a scholarship by by going there yep i got a scholarship uh, to play football at walsh university and it was 
half for football because I couldn't offer full scholarships at the time. So it was half for football and then half of it was for my academics too. So that was definitely a huge blessing right there. Yeah. So what was that feeling like when you, you got the call that that they offered you a scholarship? (laughs) It was uh, just, it was amazing. I mean, it felt like all my hard work leading up to that point had finally paid off and I had realized my dream that I was going to play college football, which not a lot of kids from my area even got the chance to do. Yeah. That's awesome. It was just, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So let's talk about, you know, what kind of led up to your second impact syndrome injury. I'm curious to see if it's going to mirror mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it was senior year at Walsh. You were a captain at this point, right? Yeah. I was a captain at this point, defensive captain. Um, I guess leading into camp, everything was going well. I mean, I was probably the biggest and strongest and fastest I'd ever been. Cause leading up to that year, I had probably worked the hardest I'd ever had at trying to, I guess, develop myself as a player and as an athlete. Right. What were some of like your stats, like your, your 40, your, what were was, you benching, squatting? I was almost 215 pounds running a four five flat 40 jeez uh benching 335 and squatting close to 500 pounds damn what, so, how tall are you uh six foot <clears throat> damn that's a freaking powerhouse right there <laughs> oh so, yeah and that's what i wanted to get bigger because i knew we would be transitioning to the ncaa competition that year right and those guys were a lot bigger and stronger and faster than what we'd played in naia so I knew if I want to be able to compete and make an impact at that level, I had to get bigger and stronger and faster for that year. So that year I hit the weight room hard on the field, training everything harder than we ever had before. And I was ready <laughs> for that season. Awesome. I was ready for that. And then I guess going into camp, we just had our normal like two-a-days and everything like that leading up. and then. Probably a couple days before my injury, um, I think it was like three or four days into camp, we were just doing routine tackling drills. I think we were just in shells at the time, just shoulder pads and shorts. Just um, It was just a DB drill um, where they would kind of toss the ball out for the, for the running back, and then we would, the safeties would run our alleys down. And right, come like a down. little swing pass kind of thing? Yeah, and then come down and uh, – run then wrap them up and make the tackle and then just kind of let them go i guess yeah just like wrap yeah wrapping up not even like bring them to the ground yeah just getting that tackling and then i remember coming down running my alley and then getting ready to meet and fit up with the running back and then he kind of like tried to juke me inside a little bit and then i know i remember my head got out in front of him and then his face mask hit me directly in the ear hole and then as soon as he hit me, like you said before, my eyes went cross-eyed and then I just shoved him away from me and then just kind of took a step back and shook my head. Right. Walk, trying to walk it off. Trying to walk it off. And then just, I remember just thinking to myself, uh, like, damn, I just got my bell rung. And right. then the old buzzword kinda, concussion. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bell rung. So kind of just took a step back and gathered myself and then just went on with practice like normal. So what kind of symptoms did you have, you know, after that? Was it just 
a headache or did you have other kind of things that looking back, you're like, yeah, I probably should have said something or. Well, I think it was just headaches that I suffered because, um, I really don't remember too much from that first week of camp at all. But I know, um, just from talking to my friends later that I, that they were saying that I was complaining of like really bad headaches all the time. And like, I remember a couple of them saying that they were telling me just to sit out of practice or anything like that or right. tell somebody that I was having some headaches. Right. But did your, did your teammates ever go to the trainer and or athletic trainer and say that you were feeling this way? Cause, no. Cause you wouldn't do it. No. no. So I think this is like an interesting point right here. Cause I was telling my friends that my head was freaking killing me too. And you were obviously saying the same thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, being in this culture of toughness, you know, in football and in all sports to, to be honest, you know, I think you're, I was probably never going to say anything and neither were you, no matter how bad it was. Like you said, like, unless you were like, had a bone protruding out of your leg or (laughs) if you were like paralyzed, like you're not going to come off the field. Exactly. So I think in order to change this culture of toughness, I think teammates have to do a better job of looking out for their their friends, you know what I mean? And like yeah. go around them and, and say, especially when it comes to their head, like if, it, it's different if it's not like a life altering, you know, body yeah. part, but yeah. when it's your head and you only got one of them and it could, you know, dramatically change your life, you know, you got to look out for your buddy and, you know, tell someone to, to you know, take a look at him because he's never going to do it. And I'm hoping that someday that's that's the case, and I'm hoping someday it, it, there'll be a day in sports where it's okay to say when you're hurt. But yeah, but it's just it was hard for me to say that I was hurt because my senior, I'd worked. I, I guess going into college, I always thought I was good enough to start on defense, and I guess going from a big fish in a small pond right. to a small fish in a big pond stepping into college, it was kind of a hard transition for me and just having to work and prove that I was good enough to be able to start on defense. And then once going into senior year, I finally had my position where I was starting on defense. I wasn't getting rotated, rotated in anymore. I was going to be in at strong safety the entire time. And I'd worked so hard to get to that point where right, it's you didn't want to give it up. No, exactly. I didn't want to, do or say anything to give someone else the potential shot right. at earning my spot. And that's a tough, that, that's a tough thing with sports. Cause like, I don't think that's ever going to go away. You know, like, no. unfortunately you're expendable. You know, the next yeah. guy in line is, uh, <laughs> is, is just so, as good as you. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. Um, all right. So you never told your athletic trainer, you never told any coaches, you just told your teammates. So we, we talked yeah. about how, so if anyone's listening to this and you have a teammate ever saying that their head's bothering them, you should be the one to go go tell someone because they probably never will. Um, so, all right. So, leading up to this next game, or I, I'm sorry, this was a scrimmage, right? That you suffered Correct. your. Yeah, um, it, was, it, was, it was just an inter squad scrimmage. Inter squad scrimmage. Damn. Okay. So, was this how how long after your initial concussion was, uh, or your undiagnosed concussion was the scrimmage? Uh, I want to say two days because the scrimmage was on a Saturday, I believe. Okay. And the concussion just had happened a couple of days prior to that. Okay. Um, so can you talk, can you take us through like, I, I know you said that you probably don't remember a lot of this, but can you kind of retell the story from, from what you've heard? You no, know, I guess, yeah, from what I've heard. And then 
I've actually watched the film of it probably about a thousand times um, because my obviously the film from the team and then my parents were there too and they were all they also filmed pretty much all of my practices and or all my practices all my games and scrimmages and everything like that so I watched that film and it just looked like honestly any normal routine tackle that i've ever made in my entire life in football right um but they, like, like we don't know now it doesn't take much you know when your brain's yeah. already vulnerable yeah exactly yeah so there's just they drop back for a pass and then the quarterback checked down to the running back honestly he caught a little swing pass yep just so like uh I, just like how you got hurt the, the <laughs> yeah. first time yeah yeah so then i i broke and then started running down to run my alley and then I got down to him, broke down, and then he tried to juke me inside. So just like last time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like last time. So then I wrapped him up and kind of got swung around. And then a couple linebackers came in to clean up the pile. And then so they hit me and him too. And we all got kind of tangled up. And then I ended up on the bottom of the pile. And so everyone's piling off, piling off. Then I'm the last one to get up. And I have to be helped up by two of my teammates. And then as soon as I get up, you can immediately see that something's just not right. So then I'm kind of looking around, not really knowing where I'm at. And then I start to walk over to the sidelines. I'm weaving back and forth, limping, running into teammates. And then mom cuts off the film. And then I guess I get over to the sidelines and then I collapse and then had a seizure. What, was it a grandma seizure? Um, I'm not entirely sure on the seizure itself, but I know th- I remember they just told me that I had had a seizure, and then they had called the ambulance and then came and pick up and took and took me to the hospital. All right, so mine was pretty similar in that I got hit pretty hard, but mine was I was running the ball and uh-huh. one defender had me by the legs like almost immediately after I got the ball. And then one kid came in to, like, finish me, but he, like, went right for my head, and then I slammed my head on the ground. Oh, okay. And when I got up, I couldn't feel my legs. So, it was like my legs were, like, rubber. And, you know, I've heard of other people having concussions and never had anyone ever said that they couldn't feel their legs. (laughs) So, I was like, yeah, "Yeah, something's probably seriously wrong. So, I went back to the huddle. I was telling my friends, I'm like, I definitely have a concussion. I definitely have a concussion. I just kept repeating myself. So, they helped me over to the sideline because I had a hard time walking. And then I also collapsed, had a seizure, and I got airlifted to the hospital. Um, So when you got to the sideline, your athletic trainer was the first person to kind of check you out? Yeah, yeah. And I think they started saying immediately, like, call the ambulance, call the ambulance. And What about, uh, like, by after looking at you, like, what about you? Did they think that, oh, yeah, we definitely need to call an ambulance? I guess I I think – from what I remember hearing people say that I was just saying my head hurt, my head hurt, my head hurt. Um, then I think just complaining overall, just how about how bad my head yeah, hurt was, yeah. and how bad the pressure was in my head. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I was obviously saying the same thing as I said, my brain hurts and I can't feel my legs. My brain hurts. And I can't feel my legs <laughs> yeah. like, over and over again. Yeah. But what my athletic trainer noticed, which I think saved my life was, that I had a gaze to the right side. And uh-huh. whenever you have a bleed, a lot of times your eyes will gaze towards wherever side 
the bleed is oh, on your brain. Okay. So as okay. soon as she saw that, she called for a helicopter. And this is while like doctors on the sidelines were checking me out. Yeah. And the doctors were like, what the hell are you doing? Like calling the helicopter. Like, cause at this point I was still like talking to them, I guess. Yeah. And then basically as soon as she called for the helicopter, I had a seizure and then I wasn't breathing all that. Um, yeah. Was it the same kind of thing with you? I think so. Yeah. Like once I had my seizure, then I like passed out pretty much and was unresponsive, at least from what I have heard. And then they called the squad. And then thankfully the hospital was literally just right across the street from where we were uh, scrimmaging at. Nice. Because, because we played, we played our home games actually at the pro football hall of fame stadium because it's just right there in North Canton. Okay. So that's where we actually played our games. And then Mercy Medical Center, the hospital, is literally right across the street. And that's a trauma center, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So what was like the, the diagnosis when you when you got to the hospital? Well, uh, once I got there, then I guess they took like scans of my brain and everything like that. And then they said that I had um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. Right. Um and I had to go into immediate surgery pretty much to have the left half of my skull removed in order to let my brain swell just because the bleeding was so severe and right. everything like that. Because um, I remember the doctors telling me later or them saying later that my brain had shifted eight millimeters um, and the average they were saying that they saw was five millimeters. So it was a severe beyond, that, yeah. beyond anything. And they were comparing my injury to one someone would have uh, riding a motorcycle and wrecking and not wearing a helmet. So Damn, it's dude. that intense and that severe and that gross of a brain bleed. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had two brain bleeds. I had a subdermal and a subarachnoid hematoma. And I yeah. also had a midline shift, I think, which is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, but they didn't remove half my skull, which I'm curious to, to hear about. Uh, they that had a craniotomy, but it's only like a quarter size hole okay. in my skull. Okay. Um, so, so can you talk about well, – you were in a coma for a while, right? So right. when did you – how long were you in the coma for and – what was it like when you you woke up? I remember reading in the in your one of your interviews that you had a hard time kind of communicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, because like you said, I I also I had a subdermal hematoma with a midline shift as well, um, and they had to remove the left half of my skull, and they kept me in an induced coma for eleven days um, because they didn't want me to have any brain activity or at minimal brain activity as possible. Just right, to try let and let, heal. just let my brain heal and swell and just get over it a little bit. So then they were kind of slowly weaning me off my sedation. They, they called them sedation holidays, um, where they might bring me up for maybe a few minutes just to see how I react. And then put me back under because the more they would do that, the more my vitals would start going bad and um, everything like They're that. Like, oh, okay, we probably should yeah, do that. Yeah, <laughs> so kind of just test it, see where I'm at. So then they gradually, slowly weaned me off sedation. So then after the 11 days is when I was fully off of my sedation and then just started kind of slowly coming to. And then I remember when I woke up, I still had a breathing tube down my throat. So I couldn't talk. 
or anything like that at all. And I just remember my mom saying, Brett, you're in the hospital. You got hurt playing football. You know that, right? And I remember just shaking my head, yes. And just thinking, not knowing how severe I had gotten hurt. Right. But you I didn't did, know I, that you had half your skull removed? Right. I knew that I had gotten hurt, but I didn't know how bad it was. And I remember just the worst headaches I've ever had in my entire life in the hospital. It's because I didn't have half of my skull in there to help alleviate that pressure. In there. Right. Um, so what were the doctors telling your parents at this point in time? Like, did they give you a prognosis? Like they told my parents the night I got hurt that I had a 50% chance to make it through the night because wow. based off of what they've seen, yeah. did they have like similar prognosis to you for you. Yeah. I think so. Cause the first couple of days, my vitals were, weren't good at all. And I was more or less touch and go as far as like being able to responsive. But I guess they were just kind of preparing them for the worst or what might happen and kind of breaking it down to them that there, once I did come up, if I came up, that there were things that I might struggle with or things that might have happened to me, trying to just prepare them for the worst, right. more or less. All right. So, so what was your ultimate recovery like? So when you started, like, when did you get out of the hospital bed? When did you start, you know, what, what, and what kind of things did you struggle with? Um, well, I think I was laying down, I guess, for the better part of two weeks, more or less, because then once I kind of got the breathing tube out and was a little bit more responsive and everything like that, we started going through like a little bit of occupational therapy and everything, just kind of the general questions of where you're at, what hospital you're in, what happened to you, what's your name, where are you from, things like that. And then eventually transitioning into a little bit of physical therapy, like at least getting me up and out of my bed um, just to see how I stood and how my balance was and how everything was. Right. Um, because I remember for some reason, the left side of my body was moving a little slower. Like I couldn't move my left foot at all. Like it wouldn't, I had no, I wasn't able to wiggle my toes or anything like that or feel anything. And so once I started doing a little bit of physical therapy, the athlete in me kicked in. I was like, oh, I can use a stretching band to try and show it what to do. Right. So There's always something it. you could do. Yeah. <laughs> always something you could do. So I remember when I was, I'd be laying in the, my hospital bed and I'd wrap the band around my foot and then kind of use my right foot to show my left foot what to do and guide it and lead it and everything, just to try and get it stronger. Cool. And that was helping too. And so within, a week of waking up, I actually walked for the first time with a walker up and down the hallway of the hospital. And I remember walking up and down the hallway and I swear every doctor and nurse was out in the hallway, just watching me walk because in no, amazement <laughs> and just an amazement people, nurses crying, my mom crying, everyone crying. And I just had, probably the biggest grin on my face that I've ever had in my entire life. It's like, suck it, freaks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is being able just to walk after that. was just absolutely incredible to me. Awesome. It's just kind uh, of so, there. So what other obstacles did you come off, you come across after that? Um, I guess more or less the physical rehab was probably the most, it was the, probably the hardest 
thing I had to go through just because, like I said, my ankles were weak and my everything didn't move like it used to. So trying to get back to being able to walk again. Um, and also my cognitive abilities too were a lot slower. Like I couldn't stay on a task for longer, for long periods of time because I would get just the most intense headaches I've ever had. So then I had to get pain medication and slow down and lay down just until my headache went away. Right. And be able to try and work at it again, but it's just a slow, slow process of just trying to get better. And you got to be patient throughout those times. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the hardest things to do is to be patient with something like that. Right. I was also interested by some of the comments you made in your interview and in that you still wanted to play football during this time. I remember when I, when I was in the hospital after my head surgery, my head hurt me so bad. I'm like, I'm never playing football again. Like, this was so bad. Uh, like, just because I hurt so bad. Yeah. So, what what still made you want to do that after everything that you, you went through? Love of the game. Absolutely just loved the game of football and everything about it. Just the, the team aspect, um, the individual aspect, I guess. The glory and yeah, yeah the glory and just the camaraderie that you made and the brothers that you gained and family. That's how I kind of looked at it. I looked at the football team as just my second family and we had all gotten so close over the years and just the game itself. That was one thing I truly loved to do was play football. And that was when I was my most happiest when I was playing football. Yeah. And I had had my senior season taken away from me. And I just wanted to be able to finish that senior season so bad because I had such high hopes for myself. And I had finally gotten to where I wanted to be. Right. That, and then it was taken away from you. Yeah, just taken away from me in an instant. And there was nothing I could do about yeah, it. I mean, I could relate to you 100%. Like, uh, my wanting to play football at least started to come after the fact when my head stopped killing me. Yeah. But, you know... I think it was the fact that it was – I same thing. Like, I felt like it was taken away from me. Like, I didn't get to – it wasn't senior day and I, like, finished out my career or right. – You know, it's not like you're finishing up a, a 10-year NFL career. Like, yeah. you know, you didn't wake up that morning thinking that it was going to be the last time you ever played. And exactly. when you I, – I, I have a feeling that you're, like, the same way as, as I was just based off of what you said so far. Like, you bust your ass day in, day out. Like, you do all yeah. the right things and yeah. you – you know, you, you – you try to be the best player you can and like from a karma perspective, if that's something that you believe in, yeah. you're like, well, why the hell this happened to me? Like I freaking <laughs> yeah. busting my ass and this is yeah. what happens. Like, come yeah. on, you know? Exactly. So I think that's, it was like the most frustrating part for me, at least initially. Um, so what was like the emotional toll that this kind of injury took on you, especially when you weren't able to play football? Like I, I was told I couldn't play football when I was literally being wheeled into oh. surgery by my doctor. He's like, you'll never set foot on football field again. He literally said that quote unquote. I remember just yeah. like crying my eyes out. Like, yeah. you know, so w what was that, that experience like for you? Well, I didn't officially receive the news that I couldn't play football, um, until a few months later. Um, but I guess the initial recovery and wanting to try and get better was, um, it was really tough. It was really tough on me because 
I was in the hospital for over a month um, doing my rehab and everything like that. And then just literally laying in the hospital bed all day long, being cooped up in there while seeing that my friends are out enjoying college and then my football brothers are out playing there without me. Right. And listening to their games on the radio and everything is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through in my entire life. Um, and I eventually actually went to, I was actually able to make it to a game on senior night. That was the first game I actually went back to. And being there and sitting there and watching those guys play there without me was just crushes you. Absolutely crushed me. And to be honest, I mean, I was out of school for that whole fall semester because my injury happened August 18th of 2012. Right. So I was out of school for that whole fall semester, either in the hospital or doing outpatient rehab or doing my own rehab at home and just kind of being cooped up all day. And it really started to take a toll on me. And I eventually became really depressed. Um, I was in a pretty dark spot mentally because like you said before, just the question creeping in of why, right? Why, why did this happen to me? Why, what did I do? Why, why this, why that, why, why now? Right. When I'm finally where I want to be in football, why did this happen to have to happen to me now? And that was something that I struggled with for a long time. So how did you deal with those emotions? Like I know for myself, I work with a sports psychologist that kind of helped me through these feelings that I was having. Um, How did you kind of approach, you know, getting through this dark period of of time? Well, I had also talked to a sports psychologist too during my outpatient rehab, but I wasn't fully honest with him. In what way? I didn't. I guess I tried to hide the fact that I was having personal problems in my life because I had had a girlfriend at the time and we were having relationship problems and we were fighting all the time. Um, During your recovery? Yeah, during my recovery. So then that kind of put a strain on our relationship. And And that's the kind of stuff that you didn't tell him about? or Yeah, and I didn't tell him about that. I didn't tell him, I guess, the personal problems that I was, I guess – more or less depressed and just kind of just not happy overall, not happy with everything. So I tried to put up a front, which is what I always tried to do. I mean, that's what sports teach you to do, you know, like show no emotion, you know, yeah, don't cry, all that stuff. So I carried that front with me when I went and talked to him and I a hundred percent regret that now because I feel like things could have been so much better. You kind of prolonged your yeah your depression yeah made it harder on myself because I always always want I'm always one to want to kind of deal with things myself. I keep all my emotions in check. I don't really know. I don't really let you know what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling. I always just put on a front that everything's going well, that I'm happy and everything like that. So having to deal with that on my own was really really tough. Really tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I your story. I'm telling you, like mirrors exactly what what, what mine was. Because, like, I'm yeah. telling you, 
girlfriend at the t- at the time like of my yeah. probably lowest point same exact thing had having like all sorts of issues and stuff and it just seems like your whole world is like crumbling and, yeah. and you're like what the hell <laughs> i remember because because mine was my senior year i was able to play baseball in the spring i got really lucky in terms of my recovery like mm-hmm. I, so i went to Rutgers um because i couldn't I didn't want to go to a school that I could have played at, I guess, because right. uh, I didn't want to watch exactly like kind of what you went through. So I, I went to, to Rutgers, but this is also the point where, you know, it, it's a fall when you start school again and football season starts coming around. Yeah. And the team that I had played played for in high school, we always sucked. We were terrible like the whole three <laughs> years that I was there. And of course, the year that I'm not there, they make it to like the state semis of the playoffs yeah. and all this. So like I would literally call my mom every week just like crying because like I was like, what the hell? Like was it yeah. me? Like why was it, we were bad because of me? You know, you always kind of like look inside and think of like things that you did wrong or something that exactly. even though it has like nothing to do with it. And I was having girlfriend issues that just made me like super insecure because I lost my identity. Like I wasn't an athlete anymore. Like at Rutgers, yeah. like no one cared that I played football in high school. Like no one cared, you know? So it, it was definitely, I, I, I can relate to how you felt, man. It's, it's not, not easy. No. How did uh faith kind of come into play and, is this kind of how you, you know, made that, that turn, you know, when you, you were having this front over, you know, your emotions and stuff and we're kind of hiding how, how you felt from people. Um, and I know in your interview, uh, with, with Triax that you talked about, you know, how important faith has become in your life. And this is something that I've always been kind of interested in. I say yeah. this a lot in, in, in podcast interviews. I just like, don't quite get it, I guess. Like it's something like Tim Tebow was my favorite like football player ever. And that's something that he obviously, you know, utilizes, you know, it probably is a part of the reason why he's as successful as he he is. Um, So I'm just curious how you kind of use faith to help you get through this, this dark time. Well, we were always, I guess, big Catholics growing up. And then um, I guess being involved in the Catholic church, because I went to a private school first through eighth grade and then went to a public school for high school. But I guess once I had gotten to college, I'd feel like I felt like I had heard everything and kind of, I guess, thought I knew too much about the Catholic church and everything. And I, I admit that I kind of got away from the church. I quit going to church in college. Um, I really didn't pray as much as I used to. I kind of was questioning my faith and God itself. And then I guess that kind of was how I was thinking when I first started my recovery. And it just wasn't good for me mentally at all. And I needed some sense of hope. And thankfully, um, I had a great support system around me just with my family and my friends and my college, because Walsh University, it, it wasn't a big Division II school. It was more of a smaller Division II school, so everyone was tight-knit. Everybody knew everybody. The whole community knew who we were, and that's how my hometown was, too, New Lexington. We were a small town, so everybody from the whole town was 100% behind me and praying for me constantly. Everyone at the school was praying for me constantly, always sending letters of encouragement or words of encouragement. 
visiting me in the hospital, visiting me at home after I was in my recovery. And then, it, like I said before, I was always asking God, why me? Why did this happen? have to happen to me right now? And then I guess at some point in time, I was able to quit asking God, why me? And asking him, well, what do you want me to do? Because obviously... It wasn't football. <laughs> yeah. This, this had to happen for a reason. And I finally came to the realization that I would never know why this had to happen to me. Why, why me? Why now? I realized I would never know the answer to those questions. Right. And that I guess he had an ultimate plan for me and it obviously wasn't football, but he had an ultimate plan for me. And once I was able to put my faith and my trust in that, then literally my whole entire life just got so much easier for me. It felt like I just had a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders just because I had finally accepted the fact that I was never going to be able to play football again. And I had to find another outlet in my life to put my passion that I had for football towards. Right. So can you talk about that transition to life after sports and like what, what you've kind of, what kind of new outlets you've found and maybe do you still have times that you, you struggle with missing football and stuff? Oh, I, I struggle with it every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about <laughs> my injury or senior season or anything like that. Same it's with me. Yeah. Every day. It's just constantly, there's just, it's on my mind all the time, but you know, I had to find a new outlet to put that drive and that passion towards because the athlete in you that never goes away. That drive that you have as an athlete right. never ever goes away in that competitive nature. So then I kind of, because I was out of school semester of one semester, so it put me behind one semester. So then I remember during my rehab, there were a lot of doctors and nurses that would tell me that if and when I went back to school, I'd only be able to take maybe one or two classes when I went back just because they didn't know if I'd be able to handle or if my brain would be able to handle that much activity. Right. So then my, I guess, attitude was like, well, just wait and see because I'm going to show you that I can do this. Yeah, tell me I can't and you just yeah, lost Yeah, tell me I can't. <laughs> you tell me I can't do something and you're gonna, you watch and see what happens. Yeah. So I ended up going back to school that next spring semester. I took a full schedule, five classes, and I actually ended up finishing that semester making the dean's list with like a 3.7 GPA. Awesome. Uh, 3.7, my favorite number. Episode 37. <laughs> That's right. So then, yeah, I ended up making the dean's list that semester. And uh, like that kind of just proved to myself, I was like, all right. I still I got it. I can do this. I can put my drive and focus towards my schooling because I had the ultimate goal of graduating college that next fall semester. Right. I, I didn't want to be put behind any more than I already was. So that's where I put my drive and focus was to my schooling and trying to advance my personal career as much as possible. So then I ended up getting an accounting internship that summer um, and did well in that. And I kept that from May until December when I graduated that year. 
And then I went back to school the following semester and busted my ass in the classroom. Um, still had a job. And then I also, thankfully, uh, the football team actually allowed me to still be a part of the team. And I was a student assistant coach uh, for the defensive backs and for the punters as well. All right. Do you so think that, that helped you or it w- oh. made it worse? Because I was a, a student manager for the Rutgers football team for like three years with, with the same kind of idea. I wanted to be around football. But like on game days, I was like, F me, dude. Like I yeah. wish I could be out there so bad. Yeah. It was it was good for the most part, but still bad, just like you said, on those days. Because I guess during two-a-days and practices and everything, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, I, can't, that's, I don't miss that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, look, look at all the stuff you guys have to do. I don't have to do that. Yeah. As far as, like, the practices and conditioning and everything like that. But, yeah, as soon as the Saturdays came, it was just the weirdest feeling I'd ever had in my entire life. To, I guess being s- just sad that I couldn't be out there playing with them, that my football career was over. And just sitting there and watching them play was just, it was tough. It was really tough. And I, it broke, I, I broke down quite a few times just at night by myself, just still wanting the game and still just. Yeah. Wanting that feeling that it gave you yeah, back. That, that just rush that you get just from playing and running out on the field, making a huge hit, celebrating with your teammates. I just wanted that feeling back so bad. Yeah, and so, I think I don't know if you know the, the the Kenny Chesney song "Boys of Fall." Yeah, oh yeah, dude, that'll make you cry if you if you if you, <laughs> if you feel like us. But there's this one part in like the music video when he like one of the coaches in there like, was saying that like you don't realize how lucky you are when you're playing those sports to get that feeling like every week or every right. other day or however right. often you play, like because right. w- once it's gone, like you still get those feelings. But yeah. they're not every week or every day or every year, you know. Sometimes it's exactly. like they're years exactly. apart from from yeah. each other. It's yeah. So it's tough getting used to to living a lifestyle like that. It definitely is, and that's what because I go back and I because I have little cousins that played uh, high school football, so I go back and I watch their games and everything, and try and help out with my old high school as much as possible. And anyone to this day, I, you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so what was their reaction to your injury? Like, you, you know, your your family members and like they're still playing football. So, like, what's your message to athlete, you know, football players, um, so they're not afraid of of your injury? This is a battle that I face, you know, every time I try oh, to yeah. talk to people. It's like I don't want people to be afraid of what happened to me. I want them to just not make the same dumb mistake that I made, which was not tell someone when my head hurt. <laughs> that's uh, the same thing. That's exactly the same thing I have tried to tell people. It's like I don't want my story to scare anyone or any player or any parents from letting their kids play football. I want my story to let people know or let, I guess, athletes know to not be dumb like I was and for them to pay attention to their bodies and know when you're hurting and know when you need to say something, especially when it's your head and you think you have a concussion because it can obviously have drastic effects on your life and potentially even take your life. Yeah. Like anyone listening to this, the fact that this conversation is happening between the two of us <laughs> is a miracle. It's so, definitely a miracle. <laughs> yeah. On, on many levels. 
it makes me, I don't even know, like, I can't even, like, think about it sometimes, like, how no, blessed, yeah. I guess, we, we really are. That's exactly right. And that's what anybody I talk to and I tell them that I had an injury, they're like, oh, I never would have known that if you didn't say anything. Right. Nobody can tell. I have, thank God I have no repercussions or anything like that from my injury. Yeah. I am incredibly lucky that I didn't have like a personality change or I didn't struggle with uh, being able to handle, handle simple tasks or anything like that. Right. Did you have like post-concussion sim- like symptoms after your, uh, like, like during your recovery process? Um, I think just besides the normal, like, headaches other than that i think that was really the only thing that i had really suffered from after the concussion yeah i was lucky too like i didn't really have any kind of in- like issues with post-concussion syndrome like barely even any headaches yeah so i like feel bad for the people who have the- those concussion symptoms for like yeah. years on end it's like yeah. i can only imagine what that yeah. that's like um all right so What's your thoughts on like the culture of toughness in sports, and you know, how do you think um, this might have influenced your your injury? Um, I remember in, in your Triax interview, you talked about playing fearless, and you, you know, you yeah. can't be uh, afraid of anything. I 100% agree. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, you never think it's going to happen to you, but yeah, obviously, we're living proof of that it can happen <laughs> to can you. Happen. So. Because I guess as an athlete, you can't, especially in football, you can't play scared. Right. Or you yeah, can't, if you're scared, you lost. So. Yeah, exactly. If you're scared or if you think too much about what you're doing, then And that's another auto- way to get hurt too. Yeah, you're, you're, you're automatically a step behind yeah. and potentially putting yourself in a situation where you can suffer an injury, no matter what injury it might be. But, yeah, I think... I guess as far as the toughness aspect, I don't know if I felt like kids were tougher back when I played. Um, I don't know, because I guess it's just that they're more aware of injuries now and especially with the head. Yeah, so you think that it is changing for the better. I think so, yeah. Or at least people are more aware of what can happen. Right. Um, and what might happen. But granted, it might not be on the athlete's mind all the time. Right. If they so happen to get hurt or get a minor concussion, they can at least have the knowledge. Um, yeah, which is why I think other athletes need to look out for each other and parents need to have the education as well to kind of look yeah. for signs and stuff to yeah. take the yeah. decision making out of the athlete's hands because like we both obviously have proven that we're not going to do it so no yeah exactly that's why i think just the education aspect is something that has has gotten better but i think that it can get a lot a lot better as far as like the coaches and trainers and parents and even athletes just knowing more about the signs and symptoms of a concussion and being able to, I guess, diagnose it right away and see that, Hey, this, this athlete, he's not acting right or he's acting funny. I might want to take a second look at him just to see 
if anything's happening. Right. Uh, all right. W- what advice would you have for athletes who suffer a career-ending injury? Um, or just advice yeah. for athletes who might want to prevent our injury? I guess as far as a career-ending injury, it's you have to find a way. You have to give yourself another outlet in your life because obviously your sport has been taken away from you and whether you can take that drive and passion and put it into coaching or putting into another aspect of your life, I guess find something else that you're passionate about besides sports, because obviously sports can't go on forever. Right. Put that into another aspect of your life and try and make a career out of that and be able to teach and help someone else and kind of, yeah, and help prevent them make the same mistakes yeah, that you did and, yeah, and, along the way. And help, and help them achieve their dreams yeah. as far as whatever it might be, either athletically or career-wise or anything like that. You just got to put that drive and that passion towards another outlet in your life. Cool. And um, yeah. In September, we have, I'm rolling out a, a four-part educational series with uh, a, a group of sports psychologists. Okay. Um, out of Bethlehem, PA, and we talk a lot about transitioning to life after sports, and a lot about what you what you just said right there. So I think that'll be a, a cool um, oh, yeah. set of interviews for for our audience to to listen to. So speaking yeah. of outlets, I, I've noticed that you've taken up kind of uh, running um, based yeah. off of your like social media <laughs> yeah. pictures. So has that oh, become yeah. a new outlet for you? You, yeah. you went from from benching. 335 and squatting 500 pounds and now you're running like a a marathon runner yeah so i guess kind of just being out of sports i still wanted to i guess maintain a certain level of fitness and conditioning like i still lift all the time to at least four or five days a week and then i just kind of picked up running too because i guess i didn't want to get fat after yeah after football so then I wanted to at least keep my cardio up somewhat. So then I just started running. And then like Mondays, I would just, those are my workout days. Or th- that workout day would just be a cardio day where I would just run for an hour or so and see how long I could go. Right. So then I started doing that and I started like increasing my distance every week. Hey, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I can, I can run pretty well. And then eventually uh, there was a half, there was a half marathon, um, in Columbus every year. And that was this past April. So I remember one of my friends just saying to me, dude, why don't you just run the half marathon? I bet you won't. So then I was like, all right, tell me I can't, I'll do it. <laughs> tell me I can't do it. I'll do it. So I ended up signing up for it and then started training for that and everything and realized that running has probably been the biggest stress reliever in my life. Um, I can literally just go out and, run a few miles and kind of just to clear my head and everything like that. And just using that as more or less of a ath or as an outlet, as far as like feeding the competitive nature that I have and wanting to do well, because at the pace I wanted to run in the half marathon, I would like, I was set to finish around the top 200 or top 150 or something like that. That was the pace that I was trying to get. Okay. So then my fr- one of my friends was like, dude, if you get top 100, I I don't even know what to do. The pace you're going right now, you can get top 100. So and that was like my goal. I was like, man, I, I want to try and get top 100 out of 
over 6,000 people were running. Yeah. Granted, this being my first half marathon. So then I guess running that day and just trying to keep the pace that I wanted to keep. And I ended up actually fin- finishing uh, in the top 150 out of over 6,000 half marathon runners that day. And that's I, awesome. And you wouldn't consider yourself a runner either. So no, that, was, that was literally the first running, I guess, or distance running competition I'd ever done. I'd never done like a 5k or a quarter marathon or anything right. like that. Just went head first right into the half marathon, not, not knowing what I was doing, but just running and like forced. Yeah, I was running. Just kept running. (laughs) I'm just doing what you told me to do, Jenny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I really wanted to finish within the top 100, but still cracking the top 150. Impressive feat. Over 6,000 people. That was just. You ever try a CrossFit out? Uh, every once in a while, I might do a little bit of CrossFit workout, but I know a couple of my friends are really big into it and like, no, they do, uh, the competitions and everything. Yeah. And that was a big outlet for me when I first was trying to like figure out what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just like to lift basically. So like the, the power cleans and, you know, right. just lifting heavy was always something, even though my body has since uh, been broken by it, but yeah. <laughs> I had knee surgery a few months ago. Um, partially because of probably squatting too much, but anyway. Um, all right. So obviously outlets are, are important. And from what we'll learn in a couple months in September from the sports psychologist, also almost having uh, an outlet other than your sport while you're still playing the sport is also oh, yeah. something to think about. So then when it is taken away from you, you yeah. have something to fall back on. Yeah. Cause that's, I think I wasn't fully prepared for that. Right. So it took me longer. Yeah, and most and... most athletes aren't. I mean, if you're gonna yeah. be an elite level athlete, you need to kind of fully fully immerse yourself like within that sport. Yeah, because you know? so, it's it's a it's a full time job in itself. Yeah, but... exactly. So I mean, it's understandable. But yeah, um, but... before we wrap things up, I forgot to ask you this before. So you had half your skull removed, and I feel like the audience might be wondering like what happened to that half of your skull, and what <laughs> is in your head right now? Are you wearing? Yeah, you know, like so. What? What's? What, <laughs> how did that go down? Okay, so. The, my like I said before, my injury happened August eighteenth of two thousand twelve, and they had to remove half my skull. So I had half of my skull out from August until November of that year, just to let my brain swell. Because in order to put anything back in there, they wanted my brain to swell down or to get down enough to a size that they felt comfortable with putting a piece back in there. So. I was too lean um, for them to insert my bone into my stomach. So they kept my bone flap in a freezer up there in the hospital. So when it came time that I was ready to have my skull put back in, then I would have a surgery and then they would put it back in there. So I think it was November 23rd of 2012, I had the surgery to put back in my original bone flap and after that, everything just got better. I had no headaches anymore. Um, my head was round again. I didn't have to wear that freaking helmet, which that in itself was wearing that whenever I was up and about really took a toll on my self-confidence and everything just because I've always felt like people were staring at me. Right. And 
everything like that. And just those eyes, feeling those eyes just glaring on you. I just wanted to blend in when all I did was just stand out. Right. But yeah, so I got my original skull put back in in November of 2012. And then over the next year and a half, my body actually rejected my skull. So my body was breaking down my bone flap that they had put back in. So like, I guess I always said that there was like an inch ridge or an inch ledge where it dropped off on my skull because my bone had deteriorated so much that it was not there anymore. (laughs) Pretty much half the size of what it did. And it was barely protecting my brain. Um, because I could even move, because my bone flap was held in by titanium plates and screws, but I actually actually moved that bone flap around and everything like that. So then we went back to the doctor and everything and kind of got, told him what was happening and got CAT scans and MRIs and x-rays and stuff like that just to see what was going on. So then they eventually decided that I would have a peak implant, which is a plastic skull put in there. So I had to have scans to actually fit the piece directly to my skull so that it would, so that it would fit in there correctly. So then in April of 2014, I had another surgery to remove my old bone flap, my old deteriorating bone flap. And I had a plastic skull put in, and that's what I have in right now. And my doctors were saying that, thankfully, we got that piece out when we did, because when he held it in his hands after he took it out, he said he could have broken it in half with his bare hands. That's how how thin. So you probably could have died from that too. Oh yeah, if I could have, if I would have taken a hit on that on my left side, I probably probably would have died. Yeah. So thankfully, I, I was lucky enough to not to take any hits on that side because I more or less had nothing protecting me. Right. See, I had a similar issue with my my bone flap <laughs> because uh, my my hole was only like the size of a quarter, like I said. Yeah. But they used my own bone to, to plug the hole. Okay. Um, and then I woke up about like probably a month later and my head was like swollen out to the side. I was like, oh. yeah, that's probably not right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what had happened is the bone flap got infected. So they had to go back in, remove the bone flap. But since my hole was only the size of a, a quarter, they said that the risk of surgery far outweighed, you know, you know, me just walking around with a hole in my head. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So. I I still have a hole in my head to this day. But oh wow! <laughs> I mean, you, at first you could tell. Like I remember when I first came back from the hospital, like I could like see my pulse like in my temple. Oh yeah. And and then, but over time, I guess I must have like built up muscle or whatever. So now you like you really can't tell at all. Yeah. But anyway, interesting. Uh, we we are even more more alike <laughs> than, than we more thought. Like than what we thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So if you can go back the day of your injury, what would you do differently? I I just. I would have said something because I know the morning of the scrimmage, one of my good friends, Michael, um, he was telling me after that that morning at breakfast, I was just complaining of a really, really, really bad headache and that it was probably the worst one I'd ever had. And he, he, he told me that he was telling me that dude, just sit out, just tell Rick, our, our trainer, yeah. tell Rick and then just sit out and then you'll be all right. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. 
I wish I would give anything just to go back to that day. And I would have told Rick, Hey, my head's hurting. Something just isn't right. I don't, I don't really think I should practice today. Right. And I can guarantee you that would have changed, literally changed my life. It literally would change my life. I wouldn't have had to go through doctors, nurses, multiple surgeries, depression, anything. If I would have just said something to Rick that day, I, my life would be a hundred percent different right now. Yeah. I have a similar, I, I mean, I would say the same thing because I was walking around the track at like gym class the day of my injury yeah. and I literally told my friends, I for, I didn't know this, but they told me that I told them that I was literally going to die that night because my head was hurting me so bad. Oh. So obviously I knew something yeah. was wrong too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you, if you see something, say something as they say in the airport. Oh yeah. No um, kidding. Uh, okay. So we're wrapping it up. If you had a tattoo one word or phrase on your forehead, um, that you had to look in the mirror every single day, what would it be? Um, well, I guess one thing that came to my mind was, or I guess a couple things. One would be, don't listen to what other people don't think, to what other people think you won't be able to do. So don't listen to what other people think you won't be able to do. Because my whole life, I coming from a small school, I taught, had people hear people telling me that I wouldn't be able to get a scholarship to play football in college. I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to do that. Just from coming from a small school. And the whole time I was recovering, I had doctors and nurses telling me things that I wouldn't be able to do. I would struggle with this. I'm not going to be able to do that. You're going to have a hard time doing this. Right. This is yeah. focus on what you can do at the moment and then you'll get to your ultimate goal. Don't listen to what other people think you won't be able to do because only you know, I guess what you can do and you can, I guess control. Really, that, yeah. yeah you, you can control that aspect of your life. All right. Uh, lastly, what's your personal definition of perseverance? Personal definition of perseverance. I would say it could be like a, a football scenario. If, if that, guess, if that works, being able to, overcome and defy all odds that you never thought were possible. Um, just being able to do things that I guess other people thought you wouldn't be able to do just to overcome any and all obstacles in your life and just get through your struggles and, not, to, not give up, yeah. Yeah, and just never giving up, pretty much. And no matter how bad things may seem or how bad you think you have it, there's always someone else out there who has it worse than you. Like I tell myself all the time, even my worst days are better than somebody else's best day. Yeah, it's 100% so true, yeah. If I can be able to persevere through my personal struggles and grow and get through my day to day and just do that. And I think you'd be all right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brett, for taking time out of your day to, to talk with me. And I can't think of a, a better way to share my 37th episode of the heads and tails <laughs> podcast than with another second impact syndrome survivor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like I've, I've made a new friend. So, Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I really appreciate 
you giving me this outlet to tell my story and I just want to thank you for this opportunity. It, it really means a lot to me because I feel like we can do so much more as far as educating ourselves on concussions and brain injuries and second impact syndrome itself and that you having this outlet is just amazing. So I just want to thank you for that. Awesome. Thanks, man. I look forward to working with you in the future.